Welcome to the Agora, the place where we discuss and dissect what's been happening in Greece. I'm Phoebe Fronista. And I'm Nick Malkoutsis. This episode's bone of contention will be the Greek economy. Perhaps against expectations, there has been strong growth this year, and much of the damage suffered during the first year of COVID was overcome in 2021. To a large extent, this was because of the surprisingly high number of people who visited Greece over the summer. In many ways, it was similar to the previous economic crisis when tourism served as the life raft for the Greek economy to get through the storm. Based on this visitor influx, there are some expectations that Greece's GDP could increase by around as much as 8% this year. It's also had a positive knock-on effect for public coffers, as tax revenues have been beating their targets over the last few months. I guess, Nick, the question I have is whether this is just a case of the economy bouncing back from the huge knock it took in 2020 because of the pandemic, or whether there's something more long-term about it, like, does it want to commit? Put a ring on it? Are we especially those of us who aren't in the tourism business, are we about to put all those years of economic misery behind us? Nick, I want to know, (laughs) is it trickling down? (laughs) I might have some answers for you. I don't don't know about trickle down economics, (laughs) but um, I've been speaking to a couple of experts who know the Greek economy as well as anyone. They are Bob Tra and Jens Bastian. Bob is a macroeconomist and he was the IMF's senior representative in Greece at the outset of the economic crisis between 2010 and 2013. Lucky man, eh? <laughs> uh, he has also written a book on the Greek economy called uh, Odysseus's Plan for the Long Journey Back to Debt Sustainability. As always, we'll have the link to the book in the show notes. Jens is a senior policy advisor at the Eliamet think tank in Athens and has been working as an independent economic analyst for the past few years. Bob and Jens have been contributing regular articles on the Greek economy's past, present and future for the online version of the Agora, which you can find at macropolis.gr. Now, Delving into what they've written over the past year and musing over developments during 2021, we had a really interesting discussion about what kind of moment the Greek economy is in now and where it might be heading. I'm I'm very curious to find out because, honestly, I think we've all had enough of feeling like we're staggering from one kind of crisis to the next. I mean, don't forget, I came of working age in the mid-aughts, and back then... We were protesting because we were the generation of 700 euros, Nick. Such innocent lambs. Yes. <laughs> when I was still living under the Olympic glow of 2004. <laughs> I remember it well. 
I don't know if you're going to be able to take the comfort you're obviously looking for from what uh, Bob and Jens have to say. But what I can say is that they provide a very measured, realistic take on Greece's economic prospects. And there's a lot of value in that, obviously. But before we get to our guests, we're going to hear briefly from our own resident economic expert, Macropolis co-founder, Yanis Mouzakis. Is Yanis going to cheer me up at least? Well, possibly. We had a chat with Yanis about next year's budget. As you know, it was voted through Parliament last weekend. The forecast for next year, and this is the encouraging bit, Phoebe, is that we'll have more growth. Four and a half percent, to be exact. I like the sound of that. It's certainly hopeful, but without wanting to rain on your parade, there are challenges, let's say. Of course there are. It wouldn't be any fun without challenges. (laughs) Unfortunately, since we're not yet clear of the pandemic's tentacles, there is some degree of uncertainty about how things will pan out next year. And Omicron lurking in the background as well, as we all know. And uh, this is one of the issues we discussed with Yanis. Okay, let's hear what he had to say about next year's budget. So, Yanis, the budget, the 2022 budget, has been passed through Parliament. No great surprise there. The government has a comfortable majority. Uh, Let's have a look a little at what's in the economic plan for next year. What is this budget about? Is it about continuing the recovery that Greece has seen this year, you know, expected growth around 8% or even more, uh, and making up a lot of the losses that were incurred in the first year of uh, COVID in 2020? Or is it about trying to rein in the spending? We've seen the government with a really uh, generous, one of the biggest in Europe, uh, COVID support packages, a lot of uh, uh, tax relief, a lot of uh, subsidies uh, being given out. Is this budget about trying to to rein that in or, or is there something else? How would you characterize it? Yeah, I, th- I think it's actually both. Uh, uh, as you said, the, um, the forecasts included in the budget for this year are, six, are for a growth of 6.9%, but uh, I believe after the latest um, release by Elstad for the GDP data for the third quarter, it's safe to say that it will probably be revised upwards because the, the economy is already growing by 9% in the first nine months. And um, considering last year, halfway in November and most and all of the festive season was uh, under some form of lockdown, you can expect the, the fourth quarter performance to be better this year. So we're, we're looking at an upward revision for, 2000, for 2021. And it's going into 2022 with a 4.5% growth assumption. So it's, it's definitely a, a budget that sees the, um, the recovery that built quite a lot of steam during the summer because of the tourism season continuing into 2022 with the help of the resources of the European Union and the uh, RRF. 
this is also reflected on the on the on the fiscal side of the budget because uh, Greece is going from two years of running primary deficits of about seven percent of GDP, which was around twelve billion euros the last couple of years, into just one point four percent of GDP in twenty twenty two. Uh, roughly 2.7 billion of deficit. And this is reflected both on the revenue side because uh, the finance ministry expects uh, tax revenues to go uh, up by roughly 4.54 billion euros. And at the same time, a lot of the support that was extended in 2021 for the pandemic is contained. So then the, the the spending side as well is is uh, is a little bit contained by around five five point five billion euros. So the the combined effect is leading towards a little bit more fiscal uh, normality with an overall deficit of around four percent of GDP. Okay, um, what's is there something in the budget, an item that really stands out for you as we go into 2022? Yeah, well, uh, in the last four weeks, the thing that stands out is that uh, the the budget was designed in November and in October on, on the under the assumption that the pandemic would have been contained by the end of the first quarter of next year. Right. And and evidently we're we're now in a situation with the the new Omicron variant and the data that's gradually starting coming out about it that this is a serious um, risk element and it could have a a serious effect on uh, the, the the budget performance and the and the economy's performance next year because the, the Omicron seems to be a, a serious risk. And as we look into 2022, you, you, you mentioned uh, just now that the budget in 2021 was revised many times for the better because of the uh, very strong tourism season, one that we didn't expect. There was a real upside there that despite uh, uh, the variants that emerged in uh, 2021, Delta and so on, Tourism did really well. Revenues were better. Growth was better. Going into 2022, you mentioned that there's Omicron, there's this question mark. In your thinking, is it likely that we will see this budget revised, possibly downwards, upwards? Or do we expect changes to it? Well, if you asked me a few weeks ago, I would have said that probably the the revisions could be on the on the upside, because there was there was a good chance that the tourism season next year will be better than um, this year's. Uh, there's also high probability that the the flow of funds that will come from from the EU through the RRF, because we're talking about the the, the first projects. There's a high probability that there won't be any delays in absorbing and dispersing the funds. So that could also have the effect that the government is hoping on the on the investment component of the of the GDP. The the budget is already 
outperforming on the revenue side over the last couple of months, and that could continue into next year. So had we not this uh, basically uh, reversal on the on the health front, I think there could there could have been quite a few factors that would revise the budget for the better in the course of 2022. Uh, now, now we just have to, to wait and see how the whole situation with Omicron will unfold because, as we said earlier, the government has essentially withdrawn most of the spending related to the pandemic into 2022. And that was a realistic assumption just a few weeks ago. I mean, just to give you an idea, uh, the, um, the government spent in this year more than $2 billion for Farlow schemes and another, more than $1 billion as well for subsidizing the Farlow staff social insurance contribution. So this is more than $3 billion, which this year is essentially zero. Um, if... The, the variant, allow, although the government doesn't want to explore that option, but if the variant starts leading into more restrictions, more restrictive measures, uh, you know, affecting businesses a lot of them in the hospitality, catering sectors, if it needs to start extending support because the situation is out of its control, then we could have the opposite situation uh, where the budget will need to be revised towards more spending and support initiatives that, to contain the pandemic impact. Right. Uh, like the rest of the world, we're a little bit at the mercy of Omicron, so we wait to see what happens with that. Yanis, the budget runs through hundreds of pages. We've summed up everything our listeners need to know in about eight minutes, so I think they have to be happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we managed. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Macropolis co-founder Yanis Mouzaikis speaking to Nick about Greece's 2022 budget plan and the chances of its forecasts proving accurate. We'll be back after this short break. You're listening to the Agora Podcast, brought to you by Macropolis. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and we are hosted on Acast. We love hearing from you guys. So please, if you haven't, do write to us, rate us, and subscribe. It really helps others find us. And of course, for more information about our work and articles and commentary, visit our website, macropolis.gr. That's Macropolis with a C. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the second part of the Agora podcast. Today's topic is the Greek economy, and we just heard about next year's budget, which was adopted by Parliament a few days ago. But now we're going to look at the bigger picture. Macroeconomist Bob Tra and analyst Jens Bastian have published a series of articles about the Greek economy in the online version of the Agora. And Nick spoke to them about these pieces and their thoughts on Greece's prospects. 
So, uh, Bob and Jens, it's great to have you uh, with us uh, after reading your uh, articles all these months and reading your thoughts on the the Greek economy, past, present and future, which we'll we'll also get to in our uh, discussion. Uh, Let's start off, uh, Bob, tell us a little bit about uh, the thinking behind the pieces and what you were trying to achieve. Welcome, uh, Nick and uh, Jens. Uh, You are in Athens, I'm in Washington, D.C., so it's nice to be part of the podcast. Um, As you know, I uh, spent three years in Athens during the height of the crisis from 2010 through 2013. And I have followed uh, the events in Greece since then. I'm still fascinated by the Greek economy because uh, there is a lot of potential in Greece, but somehow I... I don't see that it is coming out in full. And I'm also intrigued by the fact that so many young people and talented people are leaving Greece. So there must be a reason for all these things. And as a professional macroeconomy with a lot of experience in more than 50 countries in the world, uh, Greece was one of the countries that really caught my attention. And I wanted to see in short pieces that are hopefully easy to understand by the general public. We don't use mathematics or models, nothing that formal. But by being grounded in the data that Elstat and the government produces and also Eurostat, you can, you can look at the economy and ask yourself, why are certain things happening in Greece? And that's my key interest. And these are mainly, as the readers will see, structural issues. These are not primarily interested in the daily ups and downs, but what's underneath the surface that is driving developments in Greece. So this interest continues to interest me. And together with Jens, who is local on the ground and who has a a political economy background, uh, we felt it might be helpful to contribute something to the discussion in Greece through our pods. Jens, would you like to add something to that? Yes, Hello, Nick and Bob. Indeed, the roots regarding this blog that we've written 12 pieces in the course of the past 12 months, they are partly personal, as Bob has already highlighted. We have roots in Greece. Bob, for three years, as he mentioned, I live and work here since over 20 years. I'm married to a Greek. We care about the country. We have seen young people grow up, our own children. We have also seen why they leave and under what circumstances they are prepared to come back or why they do not yet vote with their feet to come back to Athens or Saloniki. And then, as Bob said, it's a data-driven discussion. We try to highlight statistics that are readily available to the public, but we want to give them a twist. We want to combine that with issues that try to avoid two things. We do not want to immediately try and criticize Greece, nor are we trying to show unconditional praise for Greece's economic development. We want to go a bit deeper in the analysis in subject areas that don't immediately catch the public's eye, but that can be read in our blogs. And therefore, we've tried to 
reach out widely in terms of the topics that we will also now discuss during our podcast. Okay, Th thank you both very much for explaining your thinking behind that. And certainly the, the, the personal sentiment is a very important uh, part of uh, what you've written because it's obviously not just about the, the numbers, it's about the, the, the interest both of you have in the country. So saying that, and with 2021 drawing to a close, Let's take stock of where the Greek economy is. It uh, seems to be recovering a lot of the losses it made uh, last year because of uh, COVID, the first year of COVID last year, second year, and now in 2021, talk of growth of maybe around 8% or, or, or more. But it's clear that there are a number of significant challenges still ahead of us. Uh, Bob, how would you sum things up? Yes, um... I have been surprised by two issues that are closely related. One is we have numbers from the national accounts for the first three quarters now of 2021. And we can uh, make a take a view on the final quarter. We know last year, 2020, there was again a downturn in the end of 2020. So if the economy holds up reasonably well, which is what I expect to do in this quarter, um, then remarkably Greece is going to make up for the fall in 2020. I think real GDP and nominal GDP probably at the end of the year will have overcome the drop in 2020. That, that is actually a, a good achievement. I, I think this is, a, this is good news. The other uh, uh, little bit surprise to me, we did a blog on the labor markets earlier in the year, and we suggested that the numbers are showing that participation, that is the number of people who are participating in the economy had dropped in the recession because they became discouraged. So we thought, at least I thought, that unemployment would be sticky for a while as these people come back into the labor market as the right. economy recovers. But in fact, unemployment has dropped faster than I thought. And this is interesting because this is the case in the United States, which is another country I study, and in the Netherlands, which is another country I study. So we see this, that as the economies rebound, the labor unemployment rate drops relatively quickly, and that's good news. The, the question behind this is whether the underlying participation rates also rebound at some point, whether people come back into the labor market. And that remains to be seen, but uh, Greece has performed well in 2021, and I think the sentiments generally are also showing the support for Greece. But the problems have not disappeared. So under the surface, there are still lots of challenges. I wonder if Jens has a further uh, angle on this. Jens? Yes, I'd just like to add to this observation, in particular with regard to downside risks, like, for example, as Bob mentioned, unemployment. Indeed, it has come down remarkably, and many at the beginning of the year would not have expected such a labor market performance. Nevertheless, it's still in double digits. It's still 13.3% for October of this year. And Greece is the only country in the Eurozone that has since now almost a decade double digit unemployment. 
That means there are structural underlying issues that Bob already mentioned briefly that tell us something about labor market participation, labor force participation, but also who returns to the labor market, who then has full-time, part-time, or contracts with limited duration. And these are structural issues which obviously only temporarily bring down the unemployment rate, but we're still not in the single digits. That's one of our preoccupations in some of the blogs that we have written. Uh, Jens, you mentioned the blogs. Several of your pieces uh, in the Agora have focused on productivity or productivity growth. Could you explain why this has been uh, such an important issue for you, why you're focusing on it so much, and what expectations you have about how uh, productivity in Greece will evolve moving forward? Yes, productivity is uh, the name of the game, so to speak, when it comes to seeing whether the economy is healthy and efficient. Because productivity per employed person really determines income per capita. So if the country wants sustainable growth, then it needs to support increases in productivity. The other variable in the production function of any macroeconomy is you combine how efficient is each unit of labor that is working in the economy with how many people are there working. And we know uh, in Greece that uh, aging is underway, so we have more and more elderly people. And there is a demographic transition towards a smaller population because the birth rates in Greece are very low. And there is not much net uh, immigration. In fact, there is emigration, so people are leaving the country. So we have, in the future, we see a smaller population That means the number of units of labor that contribute to producing the country's real GDP is is going to shrink slowly, but surely. That's a structural force. There's not much you can do about it. So the only name uh, uh, of the game is then, can the, the economy become more efficient in using the ample resources that Greece has to sustain uh, a rate of growth that lifts per capita income. So productivity is at the center, really, of the economic well-being of the country going forward. And I have some concerns because, and this, this leads us to some surprises that we try to highlight in the blogs. You know, the, the government is hiring people at a faster rate than the private sector. This may come as a surprise to many because it's a conservative government that claims it wants smaller government and more Mm -hmm. efficient government. If we look at the numbers, and there are always difficulties of measuring productivity in the public sector, but growth of productivity as we measure it in the national accounts is negative in the public sector. So if you allocate more and more people to the public sector, hiring them in government, which have negative productivity growth, then the productivity growth for the country as a whole isn't going to be very good. And what we see in the numbers, and we are not making this up, this is just official data, is that productivity is stuck at around zero. So this is a very serious uh, issue that Greece should discuss. It should find out why this is the case. It has very deep roots. This is not an easy problem to solve. 
something is being done about it. And maybe Jens wants to take up here that obviously the EU Recovery Fund is supporting new investments in new technologies. And that is really meant to be uh, a stimulus for productivity in the future. And that, that, that prospect is, is very, very good if it comes to pass. But this is, in a nutshell, why we are so concerned about productivity. It's really the center of the long-term well-being for younger generations in Greece. And just to pick up on that before we get to the RRF, uh, Jens, Bob, here we're not talking, in terms of these public sector hirings, we're not talking about uh, replacing, just replacing people who retired during the crisis. Obviously, we had this spate of uh, downsizing in, in the public sector, a lot of people also retiring early when, when they saw the economic situation got worse. It's, it's not just that. No, we have looked at the data uh, from Elstat and Eurostat on how many people work in what sectors of the economy. And then you can split the, the national accounts are very helpful in this regard. And the labor uh, force surveys are very helpful. You can split the economy of the number of people that are working in two groups, those that are working for the government and those that are working for the private sector. And then you can make an, an index number to follow this over time. And what we are seeing, so these are, again, numbers that, these are statistics, these are facts. The, the pace of net hiring, the, the increase in the number of people working for government is faster in percent growth each year than in the private sector. But they have negative productivity growth. So if you have a weight of your labor force, more and more people work for a sector that has very low or zero productivity growth, then your economy as a whole isn't going to grow. And that is a structural underlying factor in the supply side of the economy that is a problem. And this is not the same in other countries. In other countries, the private sector grows more quickly its employment than the public sector. But this is not the case in Greece. And surprisingly, this happens under a conservative government. So this, these, are, these are myths that exist uh, in the political economy that, that we, we love to expose that this is actually not true. Yeah. And, and hopefully that, that triggers a, a reflection of why this is the case. Jens, you, you, just, yes, go ahead, please. Just briefly add a two, three reflections yeah. on that. It's important to highlight, first of all, because we often emphasize that we take statistics that are provided to the public, for example, through ELSTAT. These are very good statistics. Mm -hmm. This is important because this is different than 10 years ago. The Greek statistics have improved remarkably. They are reliable and they are a basis for our work and for our analysis. That has to be underlined. It's an important Secondly, point to make, yes. Secondly, it is also uh, important to underline that what we are observing with regard to, for example, productivity or hiring in the public sector is not something that is immediately, as happening in other countries, related to the coronavirus pandemic. These developments have already started before in Greece. That's one of the areas of concern that we have, that this is not something that you can pinpoint two very recent developments. It's rather underlying structural developments taking place since years, in particular, to our surprise, we must say, when we looked at the data, 
in particular during a conservative-led government in Greece. The productivity issue has often been addressed. We're not trying to claim that this is a novel idea. For example, the Pisarides report from two years ago, front and center had issues of how to improve productivity in different markets of Greece regarding service, labor, product, and product markets, but also regarding its export capacity. So we're trying to also take, for example, this Pisarides report and then look at how can we, with data-driven analysis, see that the Pisarides report actually makes suggestions that can be then gradually transformed into politics, policies, and executed on the ground? Bob, you mentioned earlier the, uh, let's say, interesting years that you spent in Greece during the uh, early stage of the previous economic crisis. Um, at the time, there was much discussion about the twin deficits uh, being key factors. In other words, the budget deficit and the trade deficit. While the former, the budget deficit, has been addressed to some extent, the latter still remains an issue. And if we look at the current figures, the latest ones, Greece, for instance, in October ran a, a trade deficit of more than 50%. Why is this still happening and how much of a concern is this? Yeah. Uh, I, I think this is another key issue in Greece, and it refers back to some extent to the first two questions and to the um, emphasis we place in our blogs on the supply side of the economy. Because what I observe is that Greece uh, spends a lot. There is no shortage of aggregate demand in the economy. Um, but the, the problem is on the supply side. How efficient is the Greek economy in producing goods and services? And what we observe is that there's almost a permanent excess demand in the Greek macroeconomy. And the difference, because demand is virtually constantly larger than supply, the difference is made up by imports. So Greece runs a virtually permanent current account deficit. And this current account deficit leads to debt. It is financed with debt, you borrow. So the concern is that if Greece cannot turn this around and improve the supply side of the economy, which means improve efficiency and improve productivity. So we're right back to what we talked about before. Then you're just going to drift into the next debt crisis before we know it. So the the, the, there are two ways of recalibrating aggregate demand and aggregate supply so that the external current account deficit disappears. And these two ways are either you run very tight monetary and fiscal policy. Monetary policy is given to Greece by the ECB, so it cannot influence that. So it needs to use fiscal policy to maintain a balance between what the private sector is doing and what the overall economy is doing. So maybe Greece needs a small surplus in the fiscal accounts if the private sector is so buoyant that it constantly generates excess, excess demand. The, so this has to do with managing aggregate demand through fiscal policy. And therefore, I think Greece cannot really afford deficits. 
Um, the other the other side of the coin is how competitive is Greece. There's a lot of work being done by bringing down labor costs and cutting costs out of the economy. This is very, very painful. This was basically the job, the hard work done during the crisis. But uh, it's if the deficit, external deficits, the current account deficits persist, then fundamentally uh, competitiveness has not been fully restored. So you need structural reforms, not just aggregate demand policies through monetary and fiscal policy. You also need structural reforms to make the economy more efficient and be able to generate exportables to uh, recalibrate the external accounts. So this is, this is all part and parcel of this complex interaction between what is happening in the domestic economy and what is happening with your external accounts. Because right now, Greece still continues to accumulate debt. Jens, you have something to add on that point? This, yes, let me tie this to an aspect that we cannot avoid addressing Greece going forward. And that concerns the EU recovery fund that we briefly mentioned already. Mm -hmm. When Bob argues about efficiency and the underperformance on the supply side, the fact that Greece can expect for the coming year in 2022 from this massive EU recovery fund in excess of 18 billion euros, if you just calculate that in terms of nominal GDP for 2019, for which we have comparable data, that approximates 10% of nominal GDP for Greece. That's an extraordinary amount of money that is available within the coming year. That must then address how you're going to use it. Where are you going to use it? Who's going to decide? How is it going to be monitored, paid out? executed, reported, but in particular, how efficient will that be? Does Greece also have the administrative institutional architecture in place to manage these amounts of money so that you actually have the appropriate return on investment? That occupies us. We are not so much concerned that Greece deserves this money and that it can put it to good use but we are rather concerned about the underlying structural deficits regarding efficiency at the end of the day. What will be the results regarding performance? Okay, it's a very good point, obviously, and lots of questions about the RF. We, we've actually done a podcast episode on the RF in the previous months, and I think we'll have to uh, do another one again in the future. But let's go back a second. We, we mentioned before the budget deficit, and uh, you've written several pieces explaining the process of how Greece got its public finances under control over the previous decade or so. Do you think this matter has been laid to rest now, or is it something that still needs to be closely monitored, especially in the wake of the significant COVID relief package over the last couple of years that the Greek government provided? Uh, yes, I, I, I think the issue has not been laid to rest because Greece, unfortunately, went into the COVID pandemic with a very, very high debt ratio. And the government, and correctly so, has supported the economy during the pandemic. Uh, and that was inevitable. And it was a good, good decision to support activity and maintain capacity in place, even though in 2020, obviously, the economy experienced a deep recession. So this is well taken. But the fact is that you 
have much more debt now. The, the government threw in 25% from 185 to 205. So 20% of GDP in additional debt on top of a mountain that is already a traditionally a very, very high debt. So the, the way to, to resolve this is either by growing out of it, which I think that you can do calculations and simulations and scenarios that show that Greece is not going to grow out of it. And there are good reasons why this is the case. Aging and demographic transition being one of them. Um, so I don't think you can grow out of it. It will require a fiscal effort. So my concern is always when we say that an economy needs support when the private sector is temporarily weak, which was the case doing. This is a classic, classic situation where Keynesian economics says the government has a role to play to support capacity. I, I see this often in the political discourse as a one-way ticket because politicians love to spend money, but they don't explain when you get to the other end of this bridge, which is necessary that you build this bridge, this is good, they don't explain how it's going to be paid back because you need to amortize this additional debt and then start from where you began in 2019 with 185, 186% of GDP in debt, which itself needs a long run plan to build that down through fiscal policy. So this is what I miss. And this is where you get into issues such as the short-sightedness of politics, because politicians are interested in the next election. They are not necessarily interested in the next generation. So young people in Greece uh, have every reason to be concerned uh, because the political system is unable to deal with the structural longer-term challenges in a convincing way. And what we see now, again, with a conservative government, conservative governments like structural tax cuts because they believe that taxes stand in the way of a well-growing economy. Well, structural tax cuts that are not compensated by structural expenditure cuts don't solve deficit and debt problems. So I, I, they hope that they can grow out of it. I am not convinced that this is possible. Jens, what's your take? Yes, the debt issue and the fiscal debate, how to react to that in the coming years, that's really a hot potato um, because it then immediately also brings back memories in Greece about fiscal austerity, about do we need to make adjustments in areas where it's not anymore primarily about spending, but it is about reducing. So that's an issue where we have often noticed that we're getting very close to politics and we have tried to keep a distance, but sometimes it's just impossible to avoid it. And I think there are some hard truths that one has to bear in mind, even if they are unpleasant and not necessarily part of um, cheerleading effort that we sometimes notice around the discussion of Greece and its political economy. Greece still has the largest national debt in the Eurozone. One does not want to continue having that in the course of the next 30 years. Secondly, Greece still does not have, with regard to its sovereign rating, an investment grade rating. 
This is something that's unpleasant news. And the rating outlook for next year will be a critical economic fiscal discussion that takes place inside Greece, but also among rating agencies internationally. And we are already observing not only that there are rising yields on Greek sovereign debt, but that the Greek central bank is starting to be concerned to what degree will in the future Greek debt be part of any kind of ECB purchasing program, given that certain programs are to expire or will be reduced in the course of next year. And then if you do not have an investment grade rating, how do you continue to address Greek debt and to buy it in particular on secondary markets? And this is going to be an interesting discussion because it will tie back into the volume, the structure, and the management of the accumulated debt of the past and most recently during the corona pandemic. Before I gauge your opinions on what we might expect next year, let's go back for a second to something that both of you mentioned at the start of this discussion, which was this uh, tendency for, especially for young people to leave Greece uh, during the economic uh, crisis. And we've been through a very turbulent period and there's been net emigration from uh, the country, as you've uh, noted in in, uh, pieces that you've written for us. Uh, This has been coupled with low birth rates and it's creating what in Greece at least is described as a demographic time bomb. We always like to use dramatic uh, terms, but I think there is a really serious issue here. Obviously, it's, it's, it's a huge subject and we can't cover it all now in detail. And we could do a separate show on it, probably several podcasts, but it would be interesting to get an initial idea of what you think it's involved and give us a broad brushstrokes take of why it's an important issue and what you think you could be done, could be done to address it. Bob, do you want um, to go first? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I- immigration and demographics are central. In, in my book on Greece, I start, I have a whole section on demographics because I think that determines eventually the size of the macroeconomy. It's a, it's a key variable. More people in a country make for a bigger economy. Now, that doesn't mean that the economy is a good in some sense, because really what matters at the end of the day, and we circle back to the beginning, is how efficient are these people in using the resources that are available in the economy, and that's the other variable, productivity. But uh, Greece has a demographic anchor that is slowing the economy down, and this is common to almost all industrial countries. We are seeing that the populations are starting to slow down and some countries have populations that are actually declining. Germany is one, Japan is one, Italy is one, Spain is one, and Greece is a notable example of this decline. So the birth rates or the fertility rates in uh, highly developed countries, high income countries are below the replacement rate across the world. So the natural uh, um, development of the populations would be to slow down and then start declining. That is critical. What is, however, crucial and an additional factor in Greece is that the existing population, young, talented people actually leaving. 
And that is not the case in all countries. I have uh, done an analysis of uh, the EU and the demographic trend uh, pattern in the EU. And what do I see? If you think of the EU as a square box with the northwest corner in the northwest, and then you have Finland in the northeast corner, you have Greece in the southwest corner, uh, and you southeast corner, and you have uh, the Iberian Peninsula, Portugal, and Spain in the in the southwest corner. If you draw arrows of where the population is going, the movement, the migration within the EU, and this all happened because the EU has an open labor market. So people can move from one country to the next and get a job. We see a movement away from the southeast corner where Greece is to the northwest. And we also see a movement from the east, for instance, Poland, the Czech Republic, to the west. And we see a movement from the south to the north. So if you think of this square box, there are arrows that are pointing away from the borders on the right side and on the, uh, on the bottom side of this square box, and they are moving to the northwest. Now, being from the Netherlands, I, I receive information on this because I follow the Dutch economy as well. And they are seeing a lot of young people coming in. These are university students. They come to the universities and they stay. And previously, it used to be that there was a flow through to the UK. But with Brexit, this has stopped. So people are coming to the Northwest. And, you know, my, the two countries that I care about or I'm particularly studying in, in the EU is Greece and the Netherlands, which are on opposite ends of the diagonal. And I see populations moving from Greece to the northwest, from the southeast to the northwest. This is important because not only does Greece have a very low birth rate, but young talented people are leaving. And this of course is critical because the political system has to ask itself, why are our talented young people leaving? And um, many, I, you know, I opened an office and I hired young talented Greeks. And I can tell you many of them have left the country after the IMF office was closed. And they go to, where do they go? They go to Brussels, they go to Luxembourg, they go to Germany, some go to France, others, I know some friends who are now working and living in Amsterdam. Well, this is, this is important. And they told me, we just don't have enough confidence in our political system to safeguard our future. And this, we are highly educated. There's not a strong meritocracy in Greece. It, it's who you know and what are your political affiliations. That is more important than our education. This is very painful, actually, for me to hear, because they obviously love their country, but they feel that their skills and their talents are not fully um, evaluated on the basis of merit, that you kind of have to be a a client of a political party to get a job somewhere. And, and this is just scratching the surface, but I believe that the, the lack of trust in politics is why so many young talented people who have opportunities abroad, there's competition now, why they are leaving. And this is very painful, but this needs to be examined within Greece in very honest and open terms, I think. Jens, it is an issue that's moving up the political agenda, whether we're going to have an honest examination of it as Bobby's suggesting I don't know what are your thoughts 
Well, you make an important point with regard to moving up on the political agenda, which means that demographics is now an issue. Belatedly in Greece, admittedly, yes, but you cannot start a discussion about Greece anymore without addressing also demographics. I welcome that. And the data that we have analyzed then has suggested we need to address this issue much more forcefully, not only in terms of the medium longer term trends that we observe, but also as Bob has just highlighted very short term, what has happened in the course even of the past two, three years, where despite certain economic changes and improvements, there is not a rush to come back to Greece. Rather, the opposite still is taking place. And sometimes we are even personally affected. I have a 24-year-old daughter that has moved away from mm -hmm. Greece. And what we notice is that these young people are leaving Greece also for what we would call soft factors in terms of when you talk to them, when you read opinion polls from them, they're talking about issues and Bob briefly hinted at it. It's about administrative capacity, licensing to open a business, to register a business. It's about issues like corruption. It's about wage prospects. What are the career advancement capacity? For example, many women describe they have better opportunities as young, educated, motivated female participants in the labor force outside of Greece than inside. They say, in order to advance, I better go away from Greece for a while and then hope to return under better conditions. Politics plays a role, the trust element. And I think that even when we talk about very observable and important change in Greece, as long as young people continue to vote with their feet, it is not a vote of confidence for Greece. It's a, it's a great point and very important, uh, very interesting issue, and I'm sure we will come back to it to discuss it more. Just to finish off and very briefly, uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on 2022. What do you think we can expect in, in terms of the, of the economy? Jens, do you want to go first? I'll make one point that we haven't addressed, but which also is moving up on the agenda. And this is because many people in Greece are starting to feel it, to experience it firsthand. And that is the economic costs of climate change. Just take the torrential rains of the past days across the country or the landscape fires that we witnessed across Greece in the course of the summer, the extent, extensive rain. This has brought home the idea of urgent action because that kind of rain, these kind of wildfires is unfortunately going to continue. It has an economic cost for people in ag working in agriculture or the tourism industry. These costs have to be not only identified, but the policies also addressed to start rectifying that. I think the issue of climate change in 2022 that is going to be front and center, not only in Greece, but the discussion is arriving here in Athens now and is being addressed. Absolutely. Bob, something that you'd like to pick out? 
Yeah, uh, for 2022 next year, which less than a month it will begin. So I think the economy has some momentum right now. It's just the mass is sliding forward and there is growth and, and, and that is good. And Jens has mentioned that large new amounts of money are being pumped into the economy potentially with the recovery program. But this is again, demand. This is not necessarily supply and we believe, I believe that the supply constraints are the binding constraints in Greece. So the application and the implementation of the recovery plan is going to be crucial to see if the underlying capacity of the economy to stand up and uh, generate new growth is very important. I see two dark clouds for 2022. So uh, in other words, uh, you know, m many people have uh, expectations of growth between four at the lower side and six percent for next year. I, I don't, I don't know what it will be. I think this is possible, but things can turn around quickly. And I see two dark clouds. One is COVID remains an unpredictable variable, and Greece is dependent on tourism. If this new variant shuts countries down, then Greece will get hit. Uh, you, unfortunately, you're very is vulnerable to, to this effect. And the other one is ECB policy. You know, the mm -hmm. Federal Reserve yesterday made a, a U-turn and said, we now need to uh, worry about inflation. Uh, I have been a, a little bit um, discouraged, I think, by the discussion in Greece that the debt was resolved because interest rates have come down. But this is not a structural issue. This is a cyclical issue with very peculiar circumstances. And basically, the ECB has been bailing out Greece. The question to me is, can Greece on its own strength, on its own policies, generate sustainable growth? Or is it only possible if the EU pumps in vast amounts of money for a recovery program and the ECB keeps interest rates at a level that is so low that you're going to be threatened with inflation. So I see uh, the, the cyclical developments in Greece partially dependent on having had very unusual macroeconomic circumstances. And the question, and it's going back to the structural underlying features of our blogs, when you strip away these unusual factors and things go back to normal, is the efficiency and the structure of the political economy in Greece such that the country can grow on a sustainable basis? And that's where the anchors of demographics and climate change, as, as, as Jens mentioned them, uh, become um, uh, key issues. And, and therefore we keep encouraging, if that is the right word in our blogs, for the government to present a long run annualized quantified plan with a policy framework around it so that the people can look at this and different political parties can have different plans. But then the public in Greece can look at this and reflect on whether they think this all adds up. And I think that would be a tremendous addition to a stimulus for discussion within uh, Greece to see where the country wants to go, because current circumstances are very, very unusual and they're not permanent. Bob, Jens, I've really enjoyed this fascinating discussion and I'm already looking forward to the next one in 2022. It looks like we're going to have plenty to talk about.
Thank, thank you very, very much. much, Nick. Thank, thank you, you, Nick, and thank, thank you, Ian. That was Bob Tra and Jens Bastian speaking to Nick about some of the big economic issues that Greece has to face up to. So, Phoebe, the big question. After hearing that, are you feeling more optimistic? Mm, well, I guess I really appreciated the sincerity I, I heard in that discussion. And to be honest, as much as I'm primed to hear about all these jobs being created and the money rolling in and our wages going up... I, I would rather have an honest assessment of the potential ups and downs ahead of us. Absolutely right. Uh, it's important to understand that Greece has been burnt in the past and the not-too-distant past uh, at that by papering over the cracks and getting a bit too much caught up in the narrative. We certainly don't want that again. We've had enough of it. So let's hope that 2022 brings better things for all of us. A lovely note on which to end this episode, Phoebe. And to ask you, our listeners, to follow, rate, and comment on what you've just heard. We love hearing from you. And we'll see if we can squeeze in one more episode before 2021 is out. Either that, or we'll see you in the new year with the next installment of the Agora. Stay tuned to find out keep you in suspense either way we'll be back soon take care bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.